Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the meh of the podcast, meh, and I'm joined by the meh of the podcast, Tom Alderson, meh, and finally, the meh of the podcast, meh, it's Darren Driver, Darren, how are you doing? I'm aspiring to the dizzy heights of meh. At the moment, um, that that would be all right. If we could get to Meh by the end of the podcast, I'd be absolutely fine. Um, yeah, I'm good. Thanks, John. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Tom Alderson, another man who aspires to the dizzying heights of Meh. How are you? Um, maybe as good as I can be after yesterday. I don't know. Is that, that's not great, is it really? Yeah, maybe not. Tom, you were just saying before, well, while John was out of the room looking for something, that this might feel like the worst defeat podcast that you and I we'll have to do together not to spoil the rest of the podcast for everyone, <laughs> but um at least with the other ones we could come on and be like oh but these few good things happens and with this one we're just like everything is death <laughs> yeah the positives section is not particularly well populated right now i just wrote lol that's all i wrote <laughs> but let us try and rustle up some feelings of at least not positivity necessarily, because I think there's there's there, like you say there's not a huge amount to be positive about. But I do think there are some interesting questions for us to talk about. There's a lot to for us to break down. So, without further ado, let's jump into the game summary. So yes, as everyone will know by now, we lost one nil away to Southampton yesterday. Leeds were playing in their three three one three. Everyone's favourite three three one three to counter Southampton's four four two. Um, in terms of the squad selection, Pascal Strout came in for Phillips. We had Shackleton at right wing back and Dallas at left wing back. Click was nominally the deeper of the midfielders with Roberts the more advanced in the first half. And we had Harrison and James on right and left wings respectively, although they switched. They did our favourite tactical switch, move <laughs> one winger to the other side, uh, which always pays off. I think we, we can all agree in that one. Uh, and then we had Rodrigo up front, I believe. I'm not 
entirely sure I saw any evidence of that. Speaking of things that always pay off. <laughs> yeah, speaking of things that always pay off, Rodrigo is also up front. The first half was as bad as any I've seen under Bielsa, I think. Leeds created one chance, which was a long-range effort from Tyler Roberts after he broke the Southampton press. And yeah, I think the story of this game really was that Leeds neither built up well nor pressed well. Uh, and Bielsa came out after the game saying that that was the reason why they looked so bad. In the second half, Leeds did come out a little more brightly in the opening spells, but I mean, we're really scraping the barrel here. Um, they can then conceded from one of the few more dangerous forays into the Southampton half. Um, and it was surprise, surprise, a goal in defensive transition. Um, after this, basically the substitutions are the only really interesting things. Um, Adam Forshaw was brought on to replace Rodrigo. Um, and then we saw Bielsa do that thing he does where he pl- plays around with the midfield a little. We had Joe Gelhart on for Mateus Click. And so Tyler Roberts dropped into the midfield area. Um, and then Roberts himself came off and um, Somerville came on. And we saw Harrison dropped into a left wing back spot, which I thought a lot of people might be quite excited about. But um, I suspect this is probably just to do with the fact we don't have anyone available. Um, the only chances Leeds created in the second half came from a Harrison dribble, who was blocked, and a James counter press on Mohamed Salisu, who basically tore us apart for most of the day, despite the fact I said I didn't think he was going to do that in the preview. So here endeth the the game summary. Let's move on to the interrogation. So this is the interrogation, the part of the show where I ask the guys a few questions about the game. So let's start off with a positive. Was this the worst league performance under Marcelo Bielsa, Darren? Yes. (laughs) Yes, it was. There was a complete absence of anything we've done well over the last three years from, from my point of view. There was... There was no press, there was no ability to build up, there was no rotations, there was no threat, there was no ability to transition, um, and we just looked sort of incredibly passive all the way through. Um, like Even down to things like, I noticed on 50 minutes we lost the ball on the edge of the Southampton box and they started, not a very quick transition, but it was just a, you know, kind of a, a transition, and there were five of our players just sort of walking aimlessly backwards. And not kind of doing all the things that, you know, we've, we've kind of been um, praised really heavily for our work workload and our work rate over the last few years. And I didn't really even see any evidence of that. The, it felt like the, the timing of our passes was constantly off. Um, and there were a lot of unforced errors alongside things that were created by Southampton's press. Um, like, for example, around 27 minutes 50, Dallas tries to come inside and bounce the ball off click like and we've seen it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times over the last three years and it just goes wrong because either the timing of the pass is off or the the run isn't quite shaped correctly and similarly for the goal click you know tries to pass to Tyro who stood still but click gives him a ball to run onto and those sort of mistakes were just happening all day long and yeah I I completely do think it was the the worst performance that that we've seen in the Bielsa era in the league at least. Yeah, I don't get the sense, Tom Alderson, that you're going to disagree with that. No, I see, like, like I touched on in the kind of introduction section, like at least in the other losses, like if you take the Man United losses or the, the Wigan losses in the, in the championship, that at least in those games there was sort of some signs that we were doing the things that you'd expect us to do well, well in parts. Whereas yesterday, like the, you couldn't say like what we did well or what, what our... Like, our tactics or strategy in any part of the game was because it'd just be like the the build up was just non existent, and then the attack was like with a few times we actually did attack, you just didn't have a clue what we were actually trying to 
aimed to do. Whereas in the games at Old Trafford, like at least you could there was some sort of sort of you could see what we were trying to do to try and score goals. So yeah, I would say it was the worst performance because I just I just didn't feel like we didn't have an identity yesterday because we we just. I don't know, you couldn't tell what we were trying to do. That was my main problem with it. Yeah, I think there's there's one thing being dominated by teams who are going to be pushing for the top four in the league. But when you go to play against Southampton, who are probably up there with, with one of the teams that you would expect to be battling out for that final relegation spot, if you get dominated by them, it's very hard not to come away from that with... with sort of negative um, takes on, on the way that the way that we're playing. But I went into this game in the preview being like, look, it's going to be a messy game. Both teams are going to be counter-pressing and going to be trying to break the other team down. We won't see a lot of, we won't see a lot of creativity in terms of like long passing plays and stuff. But actually I thought yesterday, like the only team who were doing that really were Southampton. Southampton pressed as well. Um, and we weren't pressing well. And there were times when Southampton were just they were doing really nice build-up plays out from their back out from the back sort of full-back areas um, just playing around our press really easily and then into this into the central midfield areas it felt as though we were playing against a team who were challenging for the top four and I think that's the worrying thing um, because these are the teams that that we will be um, I, I suppose in a battle with if we carry on playing like this we will be playing against teams like that uh, in a bid to stay in the league and on yesterday's performance we are not going to be good enough um, but let's move on and start t- t- trying to deconstruct what, what went wrong so t- Tom what what are your takes on on how things went wrong for Leeds yesterday? Yeah so I think the answer to this question was that we couldn't recover the ball in in their half of the pitch um, which I think was true to an extent because the press was just off, but you you can't recover the ball in their half of the pitch if the ball doesn't actually get to their half of the pitch, which didn't happen an awful lot yesterday when we tried to do it. Like the the build up was just absolutely terrible, and I just I think that it's because they just they pressed us, and it wasn't even like one of the best presses we've seen, really, is it? Like they just had to do like a pretty basic press just to cause us pretty like loads and loads of problems <clears throat> I don't know Tom I thought their press was pretty smart to be honest I think it was smart but like I didn't I didn't think they had to do anything sort of like ridiculous to sort of because like, I think even if they pressed in a pretty average way I just think they we would have just not been able to build up anyway because just in that formation and we never ever seemed to build up well and then you got the, the, well, the two eights of like, Click and Roberts like Click was the deeper one but it just felt like between from the back three to the midfield, it looked like there were just an absolute million miles between the two, and I know we try and build up in the the wider areas as possible, but then we we couldn't even seem to do that. So I think, yeah, for me, we just the fact that we couldn't even get our own half means we we whilst there were problems in the attacking the attacking side of the game, I think they are. I think that's more of a secondary issue to the fact that we couldn't actually get uh, progress the ball from our own half. Yeah, you mentioned Bielsa's um, answer to the question, why were we struggling to to get forward and create? And it's actually quite an interesting answer because he yeah, he talks about, as you said, Leeds weren't recovering the, the, the ball in the opposition half, basically. Uh, but then he adds to that, when the opposition did get forward, Leeds weren't winning the ball back in, in slightly more advanced areas in their own half. The, those attacks were going all the way through to the goal in the box. And so when Leeds were recovering it, the only times really they were starting their attacks was from their own box, and, and Bielsa was saying it was really deep. Um, and he all, he just mentioned the, the playing out from from the back as well, and he he said we had chances to facilitate our playing out. Tyler and Rodrigo had opportunities to receive the ball, but we went wide too much, which is interesting because we've been talking a lot about uh, Leeds not going wide 
this this season. So it seems as though he wants us to go more direct. Um, he said we didn't manage to get the ball through to uh, Roberts and Rodrigo through Melier, Pascal, or Click. Um, and we we had a little bit of a discussion about this in the in the group chat yesterday. Just why single out those three players? But obviously those three players are the central players. Um, so Melier and Goal, Pascal is the centre centre back, and then Click is the central midfielder, um, dropping as you said into that pivot space. So it seems as though like there was a move to try and get the ball through central areas, try and be a little bit more direct, uh, and that wasn't coming off either. Darren, what do you make of all this? I just don't feel like there were any new problems there yesterday um, in, in that. Uh, I just feel like everything that, that happened yesterday was a kind of culmination of all the things that we've been seeing go slightly wrong throughout the course of the season. And yeah, I think that, that you know, that we, we can't handle being pressed. So when when Southampton um, were pressing us with their two up, up against our three, we we just basically had no options other than to kind of trickle the ball wide and then struggle and go back go back to the central defenders again. That just kept constantly happening. Um, their concertina press of six were extremely good at making sure that they funneled us into wide areas and and really pressed us there and made sure that we we couldn't get out. Um, our press just isn't working at all. So even if when we kind of hit it long, we're not counter pressing effectively and trying to pick up the second ball. Um, we're not protecting our defenders at all. Um, so if a centre-back runs with it, like we're really struggling and Salisu, although we didn't expect him to be as much of a of a danger as he was yesterday, he he was the best player on the park by a mile yesterday, both in their defensive areas and in terms of facilitating their attacks. And we just comprehensively failed to kind of cope, to deal with him at all. Um, and in order for, um, for us to attack centrally, which is what Bielsa seems to be saying, well... You know, I'm sorry, but in order to do that, you might actually need to put a couple of midfielders in 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 the, in the middle of the park so that they can facilitate that kind of build up. Whereas everything that we do seems to be down the wide areas, and as as has been the case many times yesterday, if we're not able to create in those areas, we just don't create anything at all. Um, so I, yeah, just the the frustrating thing is is that none of these are new problems. It's not like Southampton did anything new or revolutionary. They just identified what our, what our weaknesses are and exploited them in in a very very simple way. You know, it reminded me yesterday actually of very much of the Brighton game, yeah, uh, the Brighton games last season where they press as a unit. Um, with a, I guess they pressed with a five. Uh, yesterday, Southampton were pressing with a six, um, and they sat there. They sat their fullbacks a little bit deeper, and then funneled into wide areas, and they made sure that that out ball into the centre wasn't wasn't really there. Um, just a quick question about Adam Forshaw because Adam Forshaw came on um, at around sixty four minutes, I think it was, and he played the position slightly differently to the way that Click had been playing it. Um, insofar as it, he, he felt a little bit more pivoty. Uh, it felt as though the midfield's a little bit more vertical than horizontal, which it had felt like in the first part. Um, what were your takes on Forshaw? Because I, a lot of people were, I mean, I think Josh Hobbs was quite critical of him. Um, and I, I really focused on him actually on the watch back. And I thought, you know, up until the 90th minute, I thought he was fine. I thought he was pretty good. Um, and and then in the in, in the last sort of five minutes of injury time, it just felt as though he was maybe a little bit sloppy. Maybe it was uh, you know even just the intensity of playing like an extra five minutes on top of the the thirty minutes that he played just just had had an effect. But what, what did you make of him? I thought he was good. I mean, I mean, I, I think I think part of the problem really is isn't is wasn't necessarily what Farshaw did. It's in it's in relation to what Click does, and when Click plays 
as you know, he always wants to bomb forward. He always wants to vacate that space, and that's true whether he's playing as a pivot or not. So it felt to me like what Forshaw did was did what you would expect of somebody playing in that role, which was try and make himself make himself available for passes from the back three, which he did constantly, and try and position himself smartly to kind of kill any transitions by Southampton. And I thought I thought he did that reasonably well. I think part of the problem and part of the reason why Forshaw became a bit of a lightning rod on Twitter yesterday was because of. Radrizani's extremely unhelpful comment about Forshaw being the kind of answer to our midfield issues. So that meant that that means now that every time Forshaw comes on and doesn't single-handedly rescue the game, there's gonna that that retweet is gonna keep popping back up. But actually, I thought Forshaw was was you know more or less fine yesterday. I thought I thought he I thought he did as well as you could reasonably expect a player who hasn't played league football for two years to do in a situation where the team looked hopeless I thought but I thought he was fine um let's move on question three there's been a large portion of the fan base talking about how many players we had out for this game um I'm not so much interested in talking about counterfactuals because I think a lot of post-match analysis on Twitter ends up just being counterfactual and suggesting that if x y or z had been playing then this wouldn't have happened but I am interested in you guys, your take on how much you think these sorts of problems that we're seeing are systemic. Uh, And by that, I mean, we're still having those problems there, regardless of whether or not Calvin Phillips is on the field, whether or not Rafinha is on the field, whether or not Luke Ayling's on the field, fit in whichever of those players you want. So, um, Tom, start with you. What do you think um, is, what what do you think think is the extent to which these problems that we're seeing are systemic? I think that this this kind of leads itself quite on from what Diamond was saying about Forshaw's performance, that if you've got Phillips in there yesterday, perhaps he does some of that work as like a pivot in build-up that we um, we we didn't see when Click was in there. So I think that having him in there would have probably helped a little bit. Um, but it's yeah, it's, it's probably pretty fine margin because I think it is d- definitely like even when the Phillips and Rafinha have played this season, we still have been pretty bad in um, a lot of the time. I think Rafinha yesterday he makes some chances and causes some problems for them but like the the I, I keep going back to the build-up but I just think it was the main problem yesterday and I think the build-up means we we just can't we, we can't like get the ball up the f- field which is and I think Phillips would have solved that but it's just even with him in there it's just it's not fixed I, I don't I feel like I'm going in circles because I'm just it's just <laughs> I, I don't really know what the answer to the question is <laughs> I mean I, I think I think it you know, in in any system, if the component parts are better, then the system's going to work more effectively, and that's that's reasonable and logical. But like Tom says, I don't think we've looked good with Rafinha, with Phillips, with Bamford, or with Aylin in in the team this season. I think there have been isolated pockets of maybe twenty minutes where we've looked quite good with those players in the team. But in terms of a decent full match or even full half performance, I just don't think we've put one in at, at any stage this season, which indicates it's not necessarily to do with with personnel but to to do with something going wrong with with the machine and and when you say systemic john i know you mean you mean the system in terms of the on the pitch but actually the systemic problems for me go further back than that they go into the man into the boardroom and into the decisions that we made in the summer um in terms of the way that we've managed the squad in terms of the way that we we, we run with this kind of constantly run where we're two injuries away from a disaster that that's systemic as well um and and that that feels like that's uh, that's kind of really coming home to roost a little bit um this season because because it because it seems like maybe you know Alien and Dallas and players that we've relied on really heavily over over the last few years are really struggling this season, and we just haven't got anything 
behind them so we can take them out of the team and give them a rest and and yeah so for for me it's it's systemic but it's the bigger picture not just not just the the stuff that's happening on the pitch yeah it's interesting isn't it because i think again there's a there's maybe an underlying idea in the fan base that you know eventually things will just click um and i'm just not seeing any evidence of that you know i i think in 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 the past seasons under bielsa when we've had poor runs of form usually that's corresponded to us having poor runs of finishing and not with with sort of issues with how the system is working and so in in previous iterations of of all stats aren't we podcasts all we've had to say is just trust the process the process is working um eventually that that form that that finishing form will come good and at the moment it just doesn't feel like that at all because the system is is off and you know the 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 games that we're pulling off results in at the moment are games where Rafinha essentially is either finishing a beautiful ball from out from the edge of the box when it's popped out from a from a sort of goal mouth scramble or it's Rafinha going 1v1 against a fullback and leaving them for dead and then creating havoc in the box and the, and, and again us prodding home like we did in the in the Burnley game there's there is no regimented style of play which is resulting in repeatable actions which are cre- resulting in themselves in chance creation at the moment it does just feel like let's just try and be quick let's just try and be direct and let's just try and hit teams quicker than they can get into sort of a defensive structure and that's about the extent of it Bielsa's football is almost entirely predicated on the idea that if we make more chances than the opposition will win more more games than we lose isn't it and and that just isn't happening at the moment like we're, we're really struggling to put up even a single goal of xg per game at the moment um and so for me that's unless we start to see some evidence that the system's working and that we're going to create chances through the system, not through individual moments or luck, then I think this run's going to continue. And I think that's that's the real worrying issue for me. In the past, we've always been saying, like, it's plan A, and if plan A doesn't work, do plan A better. And at the moment, I don't even know what plan A is. I can't, <laughs> I can't tell from looking what plan A is. So that's the more worrying thing, that you, you don't know if you feel like it's going to be fixed. But one thing, as well as, like, with... With the attacking play, I think with the inverted wingers, we just means that we're so congested in the final third, and like the beauty of the like Bielsa system in previous seasons has been, if you stretch the play, you give players that are are average players to an extent, you give them the space and time to make them look better, and if you make the 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 final third look congested, congested, those average players are going to look average, and it's going to make us look worse. Well, this moves us quite nicely onto question four then, which is that I'm interested in why you think that why we've gone from playing such good collective football to becoming a team whose attacking football is a bit Rafinha and Inshallah. So yeah, Tom, what do you make of that? Yeah, a choice has been made at some point to be more transitional and I don't know if that's the players have done that or Bielsa has done that. And maybe it was like in the Premier League, because the the levels higher you're trying to gain the advantage of hitting the opposition in transition but at the moment like we're not seeing the advantages of trying to do that and you so like you'd kind of want us to go back to that style of football that we've played in the past where we're a bit more patient in build-up but then you think with the current personnel that we have like can we actually do the patient build-up and like with, with or is it like with Rafinha you're trying to get the best out of Rafinha by using the transition or is Rafinha sort of forcing those transitions by through some of the choices he makes so but when you like when you've got Rafinha it is obviously you you kind of want to hit him as quickly as possible and just see what he can do but it's just the case that if you could get in the ball to him a bit later in the play instead of sort of as early as we are doing it might see it just 
improve our attacking play a little bit? I think it's an easy option to just give the ball to your best player and and let them see what they can do. I think I think there is a bit of that 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 comes into it. Um, when our best player was Pablo Hernandez, he was able to supplement and enhance the system when when in in the way that he played and in the way that he facilitated the build up play. And I'm I'm not always sure that Rafinha does actually supplement and enhance the system. I think he sort of replaces the system, which means that when he's not there, like we we look a bit clueless and a bit out of ideas. Um, and I'm just yeah, I'm just really not sure. I'm not sure how and when that decision was made, but clearly Bielsa's aware of it because there was that comment a few weeks ago where he said, for us to play well, we need our attacking players, meaning Rodrigo and Rafinha on that day, to, to, to play to play well and to create things. And and formally, it was the system that created things and, and the players were there to supplement it. And, and I, I, I wonder where that fundamental shift in thinking came with Bielsa, whether it's something to do with just the, the higher level of football with the more sophisticated defensive systems that we're up against or whether there's, yeah, I don't, I, whether there's just an acknowledgement from him that the system isn't working well anymore and that he maybe doesn't have the, I don't know whether it's the time or the ideas or the, what I don't know but, but yeah I just I just feel it a bit of a loss with this question really because because I, I don't understand why a machine that worked so well would suddenly break down so comprehensively yeah I think I agree with you with respect to the way that Rafinha is used used in this team and last season I feel like what was good about Rafinha is that we got on with what we did and then we had Rafinha sort of on top of that um, so the system would generate chances and then you would have Rafinha as well, just being able to add that extra je ne sais quoi um, that, that would lead to goals. And there's there's plenty of examples last season of games when we were sort of playing fine, but Rafinha would do something that would result in a goal. So um, I, I, I always think of the Fulham game that we won in the second half of the season when... Um, he scores that goal when Bamford plays the ball into the box to him and it's just a terrible pass. And if it's anyone other than Rafinha, that, that isn't converted into a goal. Um, but he puts it in and that, you know, that changes one point to, to three points in a game where actually, if you look at the underlying numbers, we weren't playing particularly well. Um, and I think what we've just sort of seen the degradation of the system. So for me, most importantly, players like Luke Ayling, um, and then, and then I, I guess the press. Um, I, I, I think you know it, it's not only just the degradation of certain players, um, sort of you know getting old and, and just not playing to the level they were. It's also we're, we're playing Rodrigo in every game this season, and, and 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 I think it has a negative impact on the structure and the system. Um, I, I know that I'll take flack for that, but it, it's just becoming harder and harder to to argue that that what's the difference between this season and last season is that we ha- we, we're almost playing with a player down in terms of the system. His pressing was terrible yesterday. When you're playing with Rafinha and so you're almost being a player down in the system in terms of you're, you're almost using him as a floating player. I mean, I think he does offer things to the system. I do think he presses well. I, I do think that, you know, he is he is also a part of that system. But it, he, he does sort of feel like a luxury player in, in the classic sense of the term that, you know, you allow him to do what he wants and the system will, will pick up the rest of the slack. When you do that with Rafinha and you have someone like Rodrigo as well, you, you, you lose something in the system as well but yeah I think it's just a combination of a lot of things coming to, to pass um, that that have a negative impact and we talked about this a lot in pre-season about all it would take for us to be in a relegation battle being a few things going wrong at once and that's sort of what's transpired but um, speaking of relegation let's move on to the final question um, because I think it's becoming harder and harder to argue that we're just a mid-table team having a blip in form so looking at the table 
how do you see the relegation battle panning out in general? And where do you see us fitting into this grander scheme, Darren? Well, we're just about a quarter of the way through the season now. And I think that's a decent time to kind of take stock and say, this is where we are. And... Yeah, we're in a battle. I don't I don't think there's any any doubt about it unless we see something change very quickly over the next couple of games. Like if we go into December with our run of fixtures as as it is, if we go into December in a similar place in the table to where we are now, then we are going to be in big big trouble and in a real battle. As it stands, I think we'll finish above Watford and Norwich because I think I think both of those teams are awful. Other than that, I really I really at this moment in time I really don't feel confident in saying that that we'll will definitely finish above three other teams um because you just you just don't know what's what's going to happen and I, and I don't see what's going to change about the way we're playing other than some players coming back and that added quality which which obviously will make difference in moments but I don't know whether it'll make difference to our overall performances and those are, that's what I'm really worried about at the moment so um I th- I think I think we're in a we're in a bit of we're in a bit of a battle and I think we just need to see how it plays out yeah I completely agree with all that I haven't really got much more to say you'd like you'd have to i think norwich and watford are worse than us without question but then you're looking at probably one of us or palace or southampton or burnley you'd probably throw newcastle in there as well but they'll probably just spend their saudi blood money in january if they want to get out of a relegation battle so it's it's difficult i'm i'm not confident to be honest yeah i think like you say you've got the two teams at the bottom you'd you'd think that watford and norwich are gone um and then it's a question of like who's in the battle for the last place and i think yeah if you go down the list of the teams in the league you've got palace southampton who've just roundly beaten us um leeds newcastle and burnley and and as you said newcastle will probably spend big in january so yeah it almost looks like a full as things stand it looks like a a four-way battle for for that for that final place um i've been on record saying that i think we'll stay up i do think we'll stay up but i do think we're going to be in that battle i think that we'll be there and thereabouts and um you, you know all it will take is a couple of poor results and, and you can get sort of dragged back into it. So, yeah, um, I think that's what the state of play is and it's all very miserable. So let's move on um, to the Bring a Topic section. So the Bring a Topic section is a part of the show where you two guys ask the questions. So what have you guys ha- had on your minds? What is it that you wanted to bring into this discussion, Tom? So I want to talk about Lorente's passing, which is a favourite topic of us three. <laughs> My question is, is Lorente's passing actually causing us more problems than the positives it brings at the moment? Um, he seems to have freedom to pick a more direct or longer pass whenever he wants to, or whenever he chooses to, um, and which means we just a lot of the time we just turn the ball over, and as we've seen this season, that is not a good thing. Um, and it also bypasses our build-up through the fullbacks and the wingers, which is you could argue is usually the better option. So I just wondered what your guys' thoughts were on this. Um, yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because what 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 is I guess what we're hoping for is that by kind of recycling the ball around the back, including the keeper, that at some point a gap will open up that we can exploit. Through, you know, through a kind of vertical pass into the into the into the middle, um, or into, into the indeed into the wing areas, and and we. I think Southampton's press yesterday really stopped us from doing that, uh, really stopped us from being able to to identify those gaps and then to exploit them. And then what you're really left with is either this kind of endless recycling of the ball with Southampton getting ever higher and putting us under more pressure, which was happening quite a lot yesterday, or 
you look for something more direct and hope that you pick up a second ball or you hope that, that he manages to find someone. So in, in an unusual move for me, I don't think I'm, I feel prepared to blame Urente for, for being profligate with the ball. I, I, I feel like he was at least trying to, um, trying to, yeah, progress it in, in, in ways that I just don't, just don't know that we were able to otherwise. I mean, Cooper was doing the same on the other side and I, you know, I, I think quite often Cooper's, um, distribution goes goes longer um yeah i, I just I, i'm not sure i quite buy into buy into the idea that it's that it's that Urente's passing is a net negative at this stage yeah what i would say is that there was a recent piece put up by stats bomb uh, looking at their obv system so that's on board on ball value i think it stands for um an on ball value system essentially is a possession value model which essentially takes all on field actions looks at the um the threat of scoring before and after those actions. So before a pass, what's the th- likelihood of scoring? After a pass, what's the likelihood of scoring? And then if you take one from the other, you should end up with either a positive score because you've increased the likelihood of scoring or a negative score because you've decreased it and, and therefore increased the likelihood of the opposition scoring. Um, and they put out, Statsmon have just developed this model and they put out a graphic the other day looking at players carrying the ball versus playing players passing the ball. And Urente in the Premier League is the lowest valued player when it comes to passing. Um, they say that he has a net negative in terms of his passing out um, from the back, which um, I think you need to, it needs caveating in certain ways. So the first one is that in terms of a possession value models, you've got to be aware of the fact that those models are simply attempting to develop some kind of universal measure metric of, of, of saying what's going on on the pitch, right? So they're, they're going to apply that to every on pitch f- action and be like you know this dribble is worth this much this tackle is worth this much obviously that means that you're sort of I think flattening out the richness of of, of how you create value in football um, so I think you, you have to keep that in mind there's also a lot of stuff that goes on on the pitch that is valuable that you can't quantify in terms of a change in the state of the ball um, so like good defensive positioning something we talk about a lot on this podcast is something that you can't value through that model as well but generally I think with with the passing side of things look what what that that model tells you is that um, if a player is passing um, and, and progressing the ball well then they're going to be adding value and if their passes are resulting in turnovers in dangerous areas then they're going to create negative value um, and so the the takeaway from the the stats bomb piece that this was in suggested that Urente, teams should allow Urente to pass because it's actually more valuable for them for him to pass into those central midfield areas because in the events when he turns the ball over you can actually start a counter-attack on Leeds that is going to be more valuable for you than than if you press him high up necessarily um, which I thought was was interesting um, again I, I, I'm going to caveat that with like the fact that I'm, I'm never particularly like enamoured with these possession value models but um, I do think that it is indicative of something. The other thing to note was that Urente was was a sort of just just a, a fairly above average carrier of the ball, according to this model. So it suggested that when he carries the ball, he adds value. When he passes the ball, he he reduces value. And and I think that's kind of an interesting um, uh, an interesting thing to to note. And the other thing I would say just about Urente's passing into the midfield, we saw a few times last season that that it would come off quite well. Um, and usually that was when it, he found a player who was unmarked and 
they were able to turn and drive towards the goal. This season, we're not seeing that. We're seeing him play the ball into this midfield area. And almost invariably, it's a midfielder dropping back. And almost invariably, it's a midfielder under pressure. So the only thing they can really do is they can pass the ball back to where it came from. There was a, an example of that in the game in, the, I think, the second half, maybe yesterday. Or maybe it was in the first half. I can't it remember. It was in the first half. I remember exactly the pass you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. he yeah. plays it to Click and Click plays it straight back to yeah. him. So, you, you know, you're making these passes that I think look good. But in terms of actually what value are they, are they adding to, to the team, I'm not sure. We've seen a few this season as well where the same thing happens and the ball gets played out to the fullback, which is just like why risk that dangerous pass into the midfield area to then get the ball to the the ball side fullback which you know is just a simple sideways pass for a center back anyway um so i think there there does need to be some kind of caveating there as well um but i just thought it was interesting that i had a long conversation with tom warville uh, the athletics um data uh, journalist about this very thing. We had a long conversation um, when I was down in London last week, just about about Urente's passing. So it's interesting to see that that this is being highlighted a little bit more. Does anyone want to sort of come back on that, or should we move on to the next question? I thought Southampton actually did press Urente more for with more ferocity than they pressed Cooper, and I think that forced quite a few mistakes from him. That's the only, only thing I would say. Yeah. Darren, what was your question? Okay, so I just wanted to kind of try and get a sense from you guys about what what do you think is the most important thing that we need to address to get the most important tactical thing that we need to address to get out of this slump? Um, yes, yeah, so I'm I'm going to leave the question just open to, to to you guys to interpret that how you want. I think for me, it's just our ability to retain possession. I think that'll have the the positive in the attacking sense is that if we can sort of build build up a bit better and sort of it allows us to sort of create chances where we can commit men forward a bit more and see the upside of committing those men forward instead of sort of breaking at speed and trying to commit the men forward, but just no one has any time to get in possession, uh, get into position. Um, if like you you talked about this in your video analysis this week, John, that if we can sort of get a winger on the side of the box and either do a, a cross um, across the box or get a cutback, and you've got those multiple men. Um, attacking the box, you can sort of increase your um, chances of producing a higher quality chance, and you can kind of only do that through sort of retaining possession better because it gives the players a chance to get forward. Whereas if you do a player's trans- transitional as we have, players don't have that, and you just you'd it's harder to produce those chances. And if you retain possession as better as well, you one you're facing less defensive transitions, which can only be a good thing for us at the moment. Um, so it just will have positives for both sides of our game. So I think that would be the, the number one thing I'd say would need fixing. I've said this a few times now, but I'm becoming more convinced that the issue with leads between this season and last season is Luke Ayling. Um Luke Ayling was our most important ball progressor last season, um, which we all knew because the data showed it to be the case. Um, but I think it's only this season that we can see just the the impact that that lack of ability now to progress the ball has had on on the team. And I, I think you know when you when you lose that ability to to, to do the build up in wide areas, you then lose the ability to generate those sorts of dangerous cutbacks and and chances. Unless you have basically Rafinha doing just an incredible dribble um and i think that's that's the issue that we have here so you ask what's the number one tactical issue that we need to address to get out of this slump and i think to be honest i think the issue is personnel um because look and okay we we can argue till the cows come home about whether or not that's been a decision on bielsa's part to um to sign and recruit players who are not 
good for the system that made us look good last season. Um, <clears throat> but I, I, again, I don't think I'm saying anything particularly useful tactically because I think we know that the tactics work. The tactics from last season worked. I think the issue now is we just don't have the players to be able to pull them off. And even just a simpler uh, 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 an addition as a player in a right back area who can help us progress the ball in the way that Luke Ayling was doing it last season, I think would, would probably help. I suppose there's also the issue that um, other clubs now, I think, are a little bit more wise as to how to to destabilise our system as well. So the system is harder to, to enact now than it was last season. Um, but again, it's like we're saying all the way through this podcast, it's just little things, isn't it? It's like uh, if, if you have an impact in five different areas, you you, you feel the, the added impact of five different areas rather than just one area and I think that's those sorts of things have just slowly built up and it's just made things a lot more harder to do I don't know if you have any takes on on what the tactical issue that might fix this is Darren I think the thing that might see us have greatest immediate success without necessarily looking better is if we could somehow manage to get the press working again because I don't think you have to be particularly skilled to do a good press um, and it can put you in situations like, like for example, the the only real chance that we had yesterday was Dan James pressing Salisu and um, and then and then having a shot shot wide. If we can if we can somehow more consistently get get players winning the ball in good areas, then that that means we don't have to rely on our build up as much, which I think has definitely been a thing which has has, has been a more consistent problem over over the, the Premier. Premier League times but yeah I don't know I was really interested to hear hear your thoughts I mean I think let's just hope Luke Ayling comes back looking something more like his normal self after after this injury I mean I think that is yeah a bit of a fingers crossed type situation but that's where we are I think at the moment isn't it Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Well, enough of our questions and time for us to move over and ask some of the questions from our listeners. So, number one from David Martin, who said, I always feel we, like we generally play worse slash have poorer results against teams with a front two slash us playing with three at the back formation. Is this actually true or am I imagining it, Tom? I would say that is true. Um, I think this is something we've talked about before with when you play the three three one three, you take a player outside out of the midfield and bring it, bring him into um, the back three, and I just think it means that we're kind of we are we are more forced to play out wide, and then it, once we get out wide, it just we struggle to get it any further than that. The other thing that, that kind of came to mind when I saw this question earlier is that teams that play with a front two generally are quite pressy teams, or they are pressy teams when they play against us. Um, 
And I think the combination of those two things, because we, we never deal well with being pressed and we never look good when playing, uh, building up in a back three, means that this, I would say that this means we do play worse when we uh, play against teams with a front two. I don't know if us playing with a front three, I don't know if one of those things causes the other thing or they just it's both a bit of a factor. I just wonder if we, there's a bit of um, a bit of confirmation bias um, because I don't think we've played well in any formation this season necessarily. So I so yeah I I agree that last season we did consistently look worse in the three three one three than we did in the four one four one. But I think this season we've looked just as shaky in the four one four one as we have in the games where we've played three three one three. Would be my kind of instinct, but I don't know how. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I don't know how true that is, but I just, I just feel like we're generally struggling with the same things, irrespective of the formation at the moment. I think there might be a results bias going on because I think we tend to play three, three, one, three against teams playing four, four, two. They tend to be lower half teams, um, and the teams at the top will be playing, you know, single strikers because they can afford to play a talented individual who who will will be able to cause us problems. And so, you know, the games against Liverpool and. Manchester United were both we were playing the 4-1-4-1 four, one, four, one. Um, and I don't think you know Luke, you, I think if you don't build up well in those games people say well you know you're playing against good sides but if you don't build up well against sides like Burnley um, and, and Southampton then you, you then you say well the build up's poor like this, the, the back three isn't working so I think it's a combination of, of both of those things but I, I also agree with, with Tom that I think in terms of the stuff that you want to be doing having one fewer eight actually is a negative has a negative impact on our on our build up in wide areas. Uh, question two from Dave: Why are our fullbacks now so hesitant in getting forward? Used to be one of our most dangerous attributes. Um, do you think it's maybe because of the account, amount of goals we were conceding in the first half of last season, Darren? There may be a bit of that. Yeah, there may be a bit of wanting to make sure that that transitions can't happen as as effectively. But I I actually don't think that is the case. I think that. I think that yesterday, and I looked for this in the rewatch this morning, um, the full-backs were, or the wing-backs, as it was yesterday, were getting forward when the team did. Um, but we just couldn't get the, the ball into forward areas and secure possession there for them to kind of join the attacks. Like, for example, when Harrison had the blocked shot just before the corner, which led to the Southampton goal, um, Dallas was the one in the box with him. So I don't I don't think there's any lack of kind of willingness to get forward. I just don't think that the team put the fullbacks in positions where, where they were able to join the attack effectively. Like Shackleton was trying to join in the build-up on the on the right-hand side particularly and, and, and the same on, on the left-hand side, probably to a lesser degree with Dallas. But, but yeah, that's kind of my feeling about it. I don't know how you guys think about it i would argue that alioski did that to his detriment at times like it wasn't always a positive aspect that he was getting forward um as much as he did i think i, I would agree that because we we were being so transitional like we just can't set the possession in their half to get the fullbacks forward but i do think that shackleton has done it at times this season and one of Ailing's like the good things about Ailing is he ha- he has like a good instinct of when to go or when to not go, and that kind of helps us as well. Um, I think Firpo has done it to to an extent as well, but he just he doesn't seem to be sort of quite got his sort of his head around it yet within our system. And whenever you kind of feel like he is, he then gets injured. So that's um, that's kind of be the problem with Firpo, and I just think it's easier to do this in the championship so of course obviously teams aren't going to attack you as well so it's again it's one of those questions that has sort of a few 
little factors rather than one sort of massive answer that solves all the problems. Yeah, I agree. I agree with Darren. Like the issue isn't that the fullbacks aren't getting forward enough; it's that the team aren't getting forward enough, so the fullbacks can't get forward enough. Um, you can argue about why that might be the case. I've suggested that Luke Ayling's progression is like a big part of why we're not able to get forward, um, but. I think that's just what it boils down to. I think there's there's a lot of people who are, who are sort of looking back fondly on on Gianni Alioski, um, but I think again the the reason why we we miss Gianni Alioski is because we remember those moments when he bombed down the wide areas and and was getting into shooting opportunities. What we forget is the the complete lack of ability and build up play. We forget the the howlers that he would make in front of goal. That's what that's what you get with Gianni Alioski. He had his upside and he had his downside. And I think um, at the moment, particularly in, in the left back area, Junior is still coming to terms with the system. And I think that's that's one of the issues as well. Um, we saw in the West Ham game. I think part of the reason why he worries about going forward is because he he is constantly getting caught out in in bad moments. Um, so we saw that for the West Ham goals. I think he doesn't want to get forward because he knows if he goes forward then he has to get back and I just don't think at the moment he's able to judge those moments as well as you might like but um, for me the biggest issue is that we're just not getting the ball forward so you know we're not seeing the the fullbacks get forward as much and when you're playing I think Shackleton and uh, Dallas in those fullback or wingback positions you're playing two guys who most of their career haven't played in those positions and I think that does have an effect as well um because because you know Dallas has been a a, a wide forward player for most of his career, uh, and and Shackleton has been I guess a, a central midfielder for most of his career. Now that's not to say that players are positions. I I don't believe that at all, and um, you don't need to watch Marcelo Bielsa football very long to know that's not the case. But um, I do think that that has that has an impact in 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 terms of what they are able to do. Um, but let's move on to the final question from Tora B. Pedersen, who says, what are the main differences from the past couple of seasons in the way that we play? Tom? I think, yeah, we're definitely more transitional, but we've touched on that a lot. So the thing I would say is that the front front three is just a bit off this year. We've we've seen Rodrigo in playing in, in the front line in like four games now, and the differences between him and Bamford are like pretty big and it means that we can't actually play in the same way as we played in previous seasons because Rodrigo drops in and, and that kind of leads to the wingers kind of having to sort of play more inverted and with the inverted wingers as well like it just means that you're you're not stretching the play as much and the chances that you're creating are are not as high quality chances because there's always just like you're either putting an in-swinging cross or you're trying to get a shot away and it just means that the you can't create those good chances that we were in previous seasons. Yeah, I feel like we've spent the last 45 minutes unpicking this question, <laughs> to be honest. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we're not building up well. We're not pressing well. There's no movement. There's no rotation in be- between positions. We're not able to move the ball through the midfield. Um, and, yeah, we're not getting some, some little bits of luck that we got last year as well. I think that's also a bit, a bit of a difference. But, but yeah, really, I, I think that this... This whole episode serves as as testament to to, to the answers to this question. <laughs> well, let's move on then. If I say do 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 do, what do you say? Statric Bamford. Bamford. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, it's that Statric Bamford section where we talk about an interesting aspect of the game from a statistical point of view. I wanted just to talk today a little bit just about Dan James's pressing because I think most people would say that Dan James is a good presser and they've liked what he's done off the ball. Um, I'm not going to disagree with that. I think he is a good presser. I'd like what he does off the ball. But I think just looking through his last few seasons um, in the data with with the obvious caveat that um the the uh, data from this season is quite a small sample size one of the things that struck me is that he's been fairly consistently um high percentage success rate um for Manchester United per the stats bomb definition of high percentage success rate which is turning the ball over as a team within 5 seconds of the pressing action so in the 2019-20 season for Manchester United he um put up um, well, he he put up a pressure success rate of 25%. The next season was 20%. The beginning of this season with Manchester United, albeit it was only a couple of games, was 25%. But then when we see him at Leeds United in, in the four games that he's played or the four 90s that he's played, he's been down at 15.4%. Um, I was just interested to hear your thoughts on this, guys, whether or not you think that's just a sample size issue or whether or not you think that that there's something going on here that that suggests that something that Dan James does when he presses for Leeds isn't really being picked up as well in the data. Darren, what do you make of this? I think there might be a bit of a sample size issue because um, he's he's certainly putting he's certainly putting the, the the work in. I think I think pressing is not an individual action, is it? It's a team action, and and so therefore I think that that any one individual you know putting putting a lot of pressures in and and. Um, yeah, putting putting the required work in is not necessarily any guarantee that that, that the ball's going to be turned over within those five seconds. So I don't think there's any reduction in his work rate from previous seasons. I just think that for some reason at the moment our press doesn't seem joined up. So so individual actions within that are going to be less effective. I guess would be my instinctual take on it. As a rejoinder to this, Rodrigo's press success rate from the game yesterday was thirty five percent. Um, so yeah, like I, don't, I don't. Again, I think there's obviously the two players are playing completely different roles in that press. I also think that you know all it takes for you to be pressing is for you to run towards a player with the intention of winning the ball back. Um, that doesn't say anything really about the success or not of your of your actions. And this is something we talked about a lot actually. Just that that Rodrigo always seems to have a high pressure success rate d- despite being to the eye test a poor presser of the ball Uh, and there are some people out there who would argue well he's having an impact because he's putting defenders under pressure so they're playing the ball out and and losing it Um, I think the problem is is that when you apply that to Dan James Dan James is one of the snappiest pressers that we have at the club he 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 is able to sit between a fullback and a centre back and get backwards and forwards between the two of them and put them under pressure, and it's not having the same impact on on the data. And I guess the question then is why. And I, I suspect this will come down to sort of like style things. But um, Tom Tom Alderson, did you have any takes on this? Yeah, I mean, one of our biggest chances yesterday came from Dan James pressing. Or well, I think he might be in a counter press. Our only, to, only uh, there was chance. Jack Harrison had a shot. And Tyler Roberts shot a shot from forty-five yards out. Okay. Uh, but there was—I think there was another one in the Watford game as well, where he pressed one. He sort of accelerated really quickly and pressed one of the centre backs, maybe the keeper. I can't remember. But that there was a chance or a, a lot of threat came from what that as well. And, and how often can you say that about Rodrigo that his pressing causes us to create chances? Because I can't think of any that come to mind. I think 
I might, I might be completely wrong in this as well. I think that it's probably easier to have a higher pressure, pressure success rate at Manchester United because the opposition are less likely to retain the ball, and that might be a completely sweeping statement that might be completely wrong. But I would say that teams are less likely to retain the ball against Man United than they are against us. Um, so it might be something that in the sample size it might sort of work itself out, but I don't really have any concerns about Dan James's pressing. No, I don't either. I just thought it was a fairly interesting piece of information, not least because when I looked at the Watford numbers, he had nine presses and none of them were successful, which is mad because, as you said, I remember him pressing the ball, causing a turnover and Leeds nearly scoring. So whether or not that's a, a data-gathering issue there, I don't know. But um, I also remember again the Watford game, Rodrigo ambling towards a player and then him booting it out of play and that would be a successful pressure. So <laughs> what we've proven here is the pressing data is a bit whack in it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and... Uh, uh, I, I do have a section in our upcoming newsletter on this, so make sure you check that out. We've got positives written down here. I don't think there's any use going into sort of positives from that game because I don't think there are any. But what I do think will be positive would be looking forward to the next game and, and maybe trying to, maybe wishful thinking, but trying to think of ways that, that the next game could be a bit more positive. So the next game that we're playing is against Wolves. Wolves had a bit of a slow start to the season, but their underlying numbers have been good since the off and they're starting to push up the table, as you might expect. They had a few tricky fixtures early on. A phrase that I haven't said for, I don't think even once this season really, but the dreaded 3-4-3. Or maybe we mentioned it in the Everton game, but I don't think they actually played. Did they play 3-4-3? No, I don't think they did. No, they didn't. So yeah, last season we had a lot of teams caused us problems through playing a 3-4-3 um, and, and Wolves one of those teams, Wolves one of the few teams last season who beat us in both games um, and I think this season there's an argument to be made that they're actually better than they were last season so that probably doesn't bode well but um, I'll, I'll ask you guys uh, a couple of questions sort of maybe focusing on 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 why there might be it, it might be a better game ne- next time round than it was this time round. So Darren? Well, Rafinha will be back at least, um, so we'll have at least we'll have Inshallah on the table, uh, which <laughs> wasn't on the table this time. Um, and I, I always, I think we sometimes look all right in, the, in what looks something more like a four-four-two um, because that means we can push our eights up onto their eights, and for, it just feels like that can sometimes feel like there's less threat coming the other way. But as a result of that, that that's it. I'm out. Yeah, I agree with that actually because um, I think that this this is one of the few structural formations that we play that allows us to have a, a midfielder over almost um, out of possession because we'll play we'll play, essentially play Rodrigo in a position that actually suits him, um, sort of sitting between the midfield and the striker. Um, he'll push out and press when he's needed to, um, but but for the most part we just have an extra player over in the midfield, which is something we don't really have. Um, so yeah, I think that, that that there is a sense in which if we are going to be playing Rodrigo, which spoiler alert we will be, <laughs> then I think this this formation sort of suits Tom. Any thoughts? Yeah, the the two things I'd written down was because we'll be playing four four two, we'll hopefully be playing Bamford or Rodrigo up front. Um, fingers crossed, and I think as much as the Newcastle performance wasn't great overall I did quite like the aspect of that that they were playing up front together um, so we should hopefully see that and one thing that I would point out is the the sort of I'd be quite interested to see who plays the two eights in the four four two or the whatever well, the two central midfielders because it wasn't something that was great yesterday but it like you said it has worked well in the past and if Phillips comes back he might he could play there so I think that whoever plays in that position could have a, a nice effect on the game potentially yeah, and we will be recording a full 
preview podcast on our Patreon channel. I'm talking to Dave Azapardi, as I always do, uh, about that game. Um, we'll have him on to, to talk us through what's going on. And then we will have a couple of us on to, to just talk through the ramifications for Legion United. So if you like the idea of that, then head over to www.patreon.com forward slash all stats, aren't we? That brings us to the end of this podcast. Hopefully it wasn't too miserable. And all there is for me to do now is to say thank you to Tom. Thank you very much. Thank you to Darren. Thank you. And I'm off to walk into oncoming traffic. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 